Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Perhaps Psalm 1 is familiar to you because it is the first psalm. Perhaps sometime you've set out to read the psalms. Perhaps many times you've set out to read the psalms, and you got at least there numerous times. But more importantly than just being the first psalm, this psalm is such an important, powerful gateway to the rest of the psalms. It has the, the ring of a proverb. Uh, it's, a, it's a wisdom psalm that serves as a gateway that opens the beauty and the blessing of the whole of these 150 songs for the people of God. It's a, a person who trusts in the Lord and a person who meditates on his word that the rich blessings that are open to us in the Psalms uh, become to him a river of life for him. Uh, when I was in Israel just a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity to celebrate the Sabbath together in a, a, a home there. And just after the women light the candles during the course of that Sabbath meal, the men pronounce a blessing over all of the women who are there. They speak the words of Proverbs 31. Here's just a little glimpse. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. It was really beautiful. And, and while it's not necessarily traditionally practiced, the couple that we were with that particular Sabbath evening would also speak Psalm 1 over the men who were gathered. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers, speaking this blessing over the men who were gathered. This morning, I want all of the congregation to hear Psalm 1. This psalm that is for the person who belongs to the Lord, who is planted by the Lord and gives attention and delight to the words of the Lord. I want you to hear and to heed the Lord and to hear and to heed the way that he has given for us to live. It's a simple, this morning, each week when we're, uh, particularly during these summer of psalms, as Joel and I work to find what, what psalms will we lean in to, there's more choice in the text than is normally the case. And this morning, uh, I have a simple motivation for choosing to preach this particular psalm, Psalm 1. This morning, I want you to hear something. And I want you to believe something. That is, I want you to hear something with faith. Did you hear that? Did you get how that works? The way that you hear something 
and believe something is to hear something with faith that there really is a blessed life. Do you believe that? Do you hear the word and believe that it's true, that there really is such a thing as a blessed life? We live in a time of great cynicism. And we live in a time of great cause for cynicism, right? Do you believe that there is such a thing as a blessed life? That a blessed life specifically that considers and reflects the way of life that's given by our God? Do you believe that there is such a thing as a blessed, or as the sermon title says, a happy life? that is lived, that, re- that hears, reflects, considers, and walks in faith according to the way that is held out by our God. Do we believe that is a happy life, a life worth living because the way of our Lord is good? Do you believe that? The way of our Lord is good. Do we believe that the way of our Lord revives the soul, even in an age of great cynicism and great cause? for cynicism. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if it is true that your way is good and your way is the cause for the blessed life, then we would be right to stop, to to pause for a moment and say, Lord, bless us. Lord, fix our, our wandering." Our wandering is not just with our behaviors, but our wandering is with our imaginations and our distractions. Lord, give us attention this morning to hear your word. Make us, Lord. I ask, we ask together, make us a happy people. We do want to be happy. We do want to know, receive, and walk in the blessed way of our God. Lord, if you would do this this morning, it would be miracle. So we ask it. Work the miracle of your word, your gospel, good news, and your spirit in the midst of the congregation this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The blessed man, the, the Psalm begins in Psalm 1. I do hope you have it open. I hope that you are meditating with me, giving attention with faith to this word. Blessed is the man. Now, I think very easily, I don't think I have to say too much to convince you of this, that is the person. All right, are you with me? It's the person, it's you. Blessed are you who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, who stands not in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord. The first word situates us in the emotional temperament of the psalm. How are you feeling this morning? Right? You happy this morning? You blessed this morning? I don't know. Maybe some of you are. I always, I kind of, I feel bad. Like maybe I just bring the temperature down in the room because that is just not my general emotional disposition. Some of you are. Be happy. Be happier. Maybe it'll rub off sometime. It would be great. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm just going to keep wearing gray and stuff. Uh, I need some help. I need some help from this psalm because the emotional temperament of this psalm is blessed. What 
ought to be our expectation of the psalm then. And perhaps of all the psalms for which this psalm serves as a gateway, what does the psalm offer to the congregation? Well, it's right there in the first word, blessing. The emotional temperament and the the offer that this psalm holds out to you is blessing. Even a guy who wears gray every day can say, I'd like that. I'd like that very much. So can we lean in and say, yeah, I would like that. Two, this psalm is a blessing, and if we give it the attention of faith, it will serve as a benediction to all who sing it. This is a well-saying that will work the goodness that it speaks in all who give it attention with faith. It will work blessing. The word for blessing here, that first word, it is in Hebrew. I don't really know Hebrew But when I looked up this word, it's ashray. Now that's interesting because it's not the normal word for blessed. More often than not, the word, when you read the word blessed, then Hebrew is actually the typical word for blessing is the word that means to be the object of favor. Okay? Think last week, Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you, right? The Lord make you an object of his favor, of his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. You see, the Lord is doing something to the one who is being blessed. Do you see the the direction of that word blessed? That's the other way of using blessed. The Lord lift lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The blessing is God's disposition, his face and his countenance toward the recipient of blessing. That's Barak, I think, if I'm saying it right. But the word that we have before us this morning in Psalm 1 is ashray. It's the description of a person's inner life. Not that this person is the object of favor, but the person has received some favor so that they themselves are blessed. They are happy. I'm going to unapologetically use that word throughout this morning. This person is a happy person. Happy is the person who. You see, this is a result that this person has received. Not that God has been favorable, and we'll see how it works out in the person's life, you know, in their emotional temperament. No, this is someone who has received the favor and has it's that favor has worked the result of happiness. It is the disposition and inner, inner experience of the one who has been blessed. The man is blessed. He's happy. He knows grace and he knows peace. Friends, I want that. I want this psalm. I would like to be a happy man. But more importantly, this morning, for this pastor, on this Sunday, I want this congregation to be happy. I want that for you. I want you to be a people for whom the Barak of the Lord has become your ashray. The blessing of the Lord has become for you your pleasure. So that at the end of the service, when I say, the Lord bless you and keep you, you receive that with, I am blessed and I am kept. Do you see? 
This is what I want for you. This is Psalm 1 for you. Now, we are four words in. We should probably continue. Blessed is the man. Now, why is this person blessed? Why is he happy? He does not walk. He does not stand. He does not sit. But he does delight. He doesn't walk, sit, stand, or sit, but delights. Blesses is the man who walks not in da 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 da. Blesses is the man who stands not. Blesses is the man who sits not, but delights. I want you to see the pattern that the psalmist is laying out for us. We look at each, we'll look at each one of those in just a moment, but I think the real poetic power of the psalm is not the details of where he's, count, where he's walking, standing, and sitting. I think the, the beauty of the poetic power of the psalm is rather a contrast, that this man is happy not because of what he is doing, not because he's walking, standing, or sitting, but because he is delighting. Do you see it? Blessed is the man, not because he's this and this and this, but because he's delighting in this. There's a contrast the psalmist is making between one who makes his place, his walking, standing, and sitting in the world and its pursuit of pleasure. Make no mistake, the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer would like to be happy. The wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer is walking, standing, and sitting in a pursuit of pleasure and delight. But the one who is actually happy is the one who does not pursue the things of the world, but rather the one who sits with the Lord and his word. And the result of the one who delights and sits and remains and waits for grace and peace is the one who sits with the Lord and his word. I'm reminded of Mark 7, 9, 7. We spent a lot of time referring to that during the course of our time in the Gospel of Mark, where the Father says to the disciples gathered there on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. That's the counsel of the psalmist. Delight in his word. Now, specifically, it says that he walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He takes a higher counsel. He considers the word of the Lord. I don't need to listen to the counsel of, of wicked people off pursuing happiness. Look at him. It doesn't work anyway. I, I, have a, I have a better counsel. Stands not in the way of sinners. The sinners have a way that they stand. You know that. You know that because you have been that. You know what it's like to stand in your sin, to have a hope and a confidence that this will make me happy this time. They stand there, they shake their fist violently in the air and they say, on my own I can live. I know what happiness looks like and I'm gonna go out and get it my way. But that's not the way the happy man stands. He needs the word. He needs wisdom. He needs the way of an alien sweetness. Something that is outside of him because he's tried his way. And his way doesn't work, and the grace of God has shown him a better way. And he says, there's wisdom in that. The happy man needs 
God. So he doesn't stand there shaking his fist on his own. And the happy man sits not in the seat of scoffers. There are those who mock from reclined positions, who slander and toss accusations and derision. Now, they're very rarely happy themselves, but they love to mock people who are still trying to be happy. This man doesn't sit in that place. The happy man is too busy to take a seat with a scoffer. He can't recline because the one who is happy is not at ease. He's at study. The one who is happy is searching the counsel and the way of the Lord. He doesn't have time to scoff. He's looking for wisdom because he knows there is a way to be happy. Rather, The happy man has a delight. He doesn't have first a walk, nor a standing, nor a sitting. He has a delighting. It's the key moment in the psalm. Look at it with me. Don't take my words for it. Look at the beauty of the psalm. But, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It tells us everything we need to know about the happy man right now. There, Everything else is contrast to that simple reality. It gives us access to the source of happiness. Now, I could bottle that. <laughs> I, could, I could commodify that if you could bottle it, if it belonged to me. But it belongs to the Lord. And I'll tell you, though, that sells. Imagine if you could have access to the very source of sure happiness. His delight is in the law of the Lord. The blessed man is not one who walks, sits, or stands. He's one who delights. Specifically, what does he do? What's, what's, what is this delighting behavior? Well, the delighting behavior is one that meditates for about you know, 15 minutes to an hour, each morning during devotions, right? And then he goes on with his day, shaking his fist at God, saying, on my own, I can live. I did the right thing in the morning after all. No. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Because there's not a moment in this man's moments that he's not like, I can't be happy on my own. I've done, I did that yesterday, and it didn't work. Today, I need help. I need higher counsel, better ways. Something has caught his attention, and it's caught, more importantly, his affection. Do you see it? it this is not a call to study your Bible more. This is a call to delight in the Word more. To ignite an affection for the way of our God. He does not turn aside from it. He's not distracted by other walking, standings, or sittings. Day and night, the delighted man, the happy man, takes counsel from the commandments, right? That first portion of the word. The history of redemption. He says, that's my story. That's mine. The Psalms give expression to his emotional life. We're all going to counselors to seek some way to understand our inner life. And the Psalm says, I know 
I know the inner life of the happy man. I can give expression to the cries of your soul. And the prophets are, no, I'm sorry, the Proverbs are a daily tutor to him. The prophets hold forth his only hope. And so he longs and he waits. And the gospels reveal the mystery of that hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the letters bring him to maturity in the midst of the congregation. And revelation, ah, that's his victory. That's, that's my victory, and that's my hope. I'll wait on him a little longer. Let me suggest that the blessed happiness of the man is not any sort of righteous behavior. Don't become distracted by verse one. I've been making this argument since I began. I hope you're, you're catching it, but I'll try it one more time. It's not a behavior that this man is about. Don't become distracted by verse 1 and miss the purpose, which is to contrast with verse 2. He's a happy man, not because he is conscientious and has the fortitude to avoid all sin. You know what that man is called? The self-righteous man. That's not happiness. That's stiff. You've seen it. Perhaps you've been it. It's rigid. It's dry, it's lifeless, it's self-exalting fundamentalism. At its best, it's self-righteousness, and nobody obtains it, so it's just self. It has more to do with the seat of scoffers than with the delight of the righteous. Now, the happy man is a man not because of how he walks, stands, or sits, but because of where he delights. If you delight in yourself, if you delight in your labors, in your efforts, in your fortitudes and your strength, you will be disappointed. And for some of you, that's a crushing weight to you this morning because you're like, I know. I know. But what else do you want me to do? Change your delight. Change the source of your happiness and your wisdom. Stop shaking your fist and lay down in humility and faith. His delight is not in his behavior, but in the law of the Lord, which has become for him his affection. He's consumed with an attention to the words of the Lord. Which leads us to ask a really important question. How do you understand the word law? I've already been giving you hints because I've been giving other words for it. The, the word law, in fact, if you're following along in the ESV translation, you'll see that uh, there's a note probably at the bottom of your Bible that says the word instruction, all right? Another way to think of this word. Perhaps it's the Ten Commandments. Perhaps it's the 623 commandments of law in the first four books of the Bible. Perhaps it's the, the whole council of the Pentateuch, which was what the psalmist had access to when he wrote this psalm. Perhaps it's the whole of the written word that we now have access to. I would suggest that it's all of that and more. In light of God's continued revelation and a record of his written word, we have access to the full counsel of scripture. Do we not? Do you, do you have access right here? Do you have access to it at every single moment of every single day, every time you grab that little rectangle and pull it out and look at it? We have access And that means that you have access to the happy man's delight. 
The whole counsel of the word reveals for us, in summary, the revelation of the way of our God. The revelation of who God is, what he's like, and what he has designed and given to man as our happy way to live. He's revealed. He created us. He came up with the idea of creation. He came up with the idea of you. And he came up with the idea of how we are related to the other aspects of creation and to one another. And then he has revealed to us how that is supposed to flourish. If you delight in that good way, you will find that good way, you know, good. This is one of the most important things I wanted to give you this morning. When we see the word law in the Psalms, more often than not, we should read the word with a, not with a sense of legalism who delights in each of the particulars and how they're to be executed at any particular moment so he doesn't break them. That's exhausting. Not a set of legalistic performances to be taken up. Read the word law as the revelation of God's good and wise way for his creation to flourish. So when you open up the law, even if there's a law for you to read and open up and meditate upon, you say, how is that flourishing? How is that? Not, what are the parameters that I can do to perform that? And how far can I go with what I really desire and yet not break that? Now, what's sweet about thou shalt not steal? Why is that good? Because there are things that I want that I can't get any other way. So what? why is that good? It feels like if I still, I'd be happy. And some of you do. And what are the ways that I might be stealing? And why is that robbing for me for happiness for, rather than giving me happiness? Because you're meditating. God, what is it about you that you're not a thief? What is it about the righteous man, Christ, that he never stole? You see, you're meditating on the, on the beauty, even when you come to what is a law. Don't steal. The king of heaven said not to. But you say, king of heaven, what's good about what you said? When we read the word law, it ought to take us back to the giving of God's first commandment. You know what God's first commandment was? Not the first and greatest commandment. Jesus told us what that is. We ought to have known it already. But rather, Genesis 1.28. It says, and this is so important, before he gives the command, it says, and God blessed them. How did he bless them? Well, he gave them something to meditate on day and night. And he said to them, blessing them in this way, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the every living thing that moves on the earth. God's command is given as a fruitful and flourishing way of life for his good and blessed creation. Right there, the very first Command, do you think we've exhausted meditation on that scripture? Do you think we've exhausted what it means that it is a blessing to be fruitful and multiply just because you can quip some way that you've obeyed that? Or can we say, God, you 
you literally made a universe where we can participate in its flourishing. That's awesome. I have a father, a creator, and a designer who has designed me to be a multiplying, fruitful thing right in the midst of the design of creation. I like that. I like that better than just a command to reproduce. There's something sweeter here for us. So Psalm 84, 12 starts to make sense. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And we trust in him by learning to delight in the reflection upon the intricate sweetness of what he's given to us. The one who is happy is the one who delights to trust in God. The one who is happy is the person of faith. That's all this is describing. A person with an affection to trust the Lord. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I would personally recommend writing this in the margin of your Bible by Psalm 1. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding like the wicked sinning scoffers. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. It's the faith that lays aside our own thoughts, rejects the thoughts of the world and takes up the thoughts and ways of God who made us after all, who live a life that says, that's good. That's sweet. That's a blessing. Now, this is dangerous. About a half an hour into a message to tell you this, but really I've pretty much said what I want you to hear. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) So will you keep listening with me for a moment? But basically what I want to do is I just want to hold, unpack and hold out for you the sweetness of what I think the psalm has already said. I think the psalm has already said what he wants you to to hear. And so he then gives us a simile to understand it more deeply. Okay? So he said, listen, I've already said it, but it's like, it's like, well, a tree. He is, that is, the blessed man is, verse three, like a tree, planted, yielding, not withering, prospering. A tree is not great of its own accord. It's a sapling, a weak and vulnerable thing. That's what a tree is. What matters in the psalmist's simile, he uses the word like, so it's not a metaphor, I guess. What makes the psalmist's simile powerful is not the greatness, fortitude, or strength of the tree. Those are the labors and efforts of a legalist. This is no special attribute or obedience or self-righteousness that's in the tree itself. What matters is where the tree is planted. What matters is how the, the tree is fed. There's no great thing about the tree without the life-giving nourishment of the water. It, it's like a tree, but not just any tree, uh, specifically a tree that's planted in a particular place by something that it's not, right? Right? a tree that's planted by streams of water. So when we talk about fruitfulness and fortitude, we're we're not talking about some special attribute of the tree. We're talking about the delight of streams of water. Where's the sweet thing? Where's the productive thing? Let me suggest it's not actually the tree. It's actually the streams. There are two effects of a tree 
that delights to be near water. The two effects are in the passage. It's, it yields fruit in its season. It yields fruit in its season, which suggests, and this is true of trees, there are, you know, not fruitful seasons. But there are fruitful seasons. And Jesus got mad when he saw a tree that was supposed to be fruitful, pretending to be fruitful, and it wasn't fruitful in its season. Why? It wasn't a tree of faith. It wasn't a tree that was being nourished by the streams of water, the words of the Lord daily, that is day and night, attention to the word prepares the man to bear fruit when the season is right. But when do you prepare? When do you soak up the nutrients? When are you nourished by the streams of water nearby? Well, all the time. Constantly gathering nutrients and nourishment so that when the moment comes to flourish, you're ready and it flourishes. But not only does it bear yield fruit in its season, its leaf also does not wither. You see, there are seasons for fruitfulness and then there are dry seasons. You know this. You know it about trees and you know it about you, right? When the rain doesn't fall, when there's difficulty and circumstances that otherwise might spell disaster for the tree and for you and for the happy man's disposition and your face falls in the circumstances. But this man is planted by streams. Even when the dry season comes, he still has access to water because he's planted Next to something, he continues to drink that when the season comes, he's going to yield fruit. The man's fruitful in season and doesn't wither out of season. He's unwavering and never cut off from access to his delight. Hear that again. Never cut off from access. No matter what the season, never cut off from access to his delight. It's not the statement, there is a time when the man is happy and a time when the man does not have access to his happiness, to his joy, to his sweetness, to his foundational reality. No, that's not it. But there is a season of great fruitfulness. And there is a season of great drinking and waiting. So that it says, In all he does, he prospers. I think that's a summary sentence. I don't think that's like a third thing. I think it's a summary. In all that he does, he prospers. The way of the Lord is good. It turns out that the way of the Lord is wise. He knows what he's talking about when he describes the way for his creation to walk. He knows us and he made us. And he knows that if we delight in his way, in season and out of season, we ought not to be surprised to find that that way prospers. Now, you and I, right now, this second, have a problem. We have a problem that we live in a particular place. It's called a consumeristic culture. So we almost can't hear the word prosper without getting the idea of filthy rich, making bank, hoarding world's treasures in our head. That's not the culture in which this was written. It doesn't even make sense to some agrarian shepherding farmer who would hear this. He's not looking to make bank. doesn't even have a bank in his village, right? How does this man prosper? Well, it's in all he does. And what does he do? What does he do at all times? Delights. That's what he does at all times. The psalmists have been explicit about 
all that he does. He delights in the Lord, his ways in the Lord. Surely he prospers as he plants and he sows and he labors for his daily bread. But he also prospers in his pursuit of humility, generosity, faithfulness, peacemaking, teaching, encouraging and admonishing, and most of all, love. He will prosper in the things upon which he meditates. And in those things, according to the one who has given us that design, it's good. Not so with the wicked. Mm -mm. Not so with the wicked, verse 4. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff. They have no roots. And so they have no daily or constant source of delight. Now they're on their own. They're like James's Man, from James 1, 6, like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. You see it. The strength of the tree is that he lives by a source planted, rooted in joy and flourishing. But the failure of the chaff is that he's on his own. Blowing, but I'm on my own. Can't hold me down. I'm not dependent upon anyone. Certainly not the crutch of some God character. And so he blows on his own by the wind. And as he blows, he's yelling, on my own I can live, and he scoffs at those stupid planted trees. He's a free, blowing chaff until he's blown and tossed by his environment and ultimately blown away. Don't become a scoffing, self-righteous person who scoffs at the chaff that blows away. We have a moment to reflect and meditate upon the word and mourn. The blessed man mourns the chaff that blows away. He says, God, you've given a beautiful way. I want to make known. I, I know people who are blowing like chaff on their own. <laughs> Bring them somewhere close. Plant them like you've planted me. I have no reason to scoff. You planted me here. I didn't. I was blown and you stopped me. Because we know, verse 5, that the wicked will not stand. It reminds me of Micah 3, verse 2. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Who can stand? Only the one who is planted by streams of water. For the one who is planted by the streams of the Lord, all that he wants, all that he delights in, all that he knows and takes pleasure in is that the Lord is here. He's here. He's blown away the chaff, but he's here. The Lord, it says, knows his way. How does the Lord know the way of the one who's planted by streams of water? How does the Lord know his way? Because the righteousness of that man is to delight in the way of the Lord. The Lord knows his way because the man knows the Lord's way. And he knows how many hairs he has on his head. He knows his every failing and wandering and need to be planted again. He knows every moment of cleansing and rejuvenating. He knows the happy man. There's a lot of poetry and simile here, but the truth of the psalm is not a metaphor. It is a concrete reality. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate day and night, church. Delight. 
in the Lord. Study the word, yes, yes, do that. I highly recommend it. No, memorize the counsel. I mean, do it. It's good. But seek. Seek the word. Seek the way of the Lord as one who searches for a treasure in a field. So much so that he sells all that he has. I don't got time for that stuff anyway. All that he has to have that treasure in a field. Take possession of it. Let me suggest something that if you know the Gospels may be difficult to swallow, but Jesus was the happy man. He was and is the happy man. Jesus, the only righteous one whose way is the very way of the Lord. Consider our Redeemer. He was like a tree planted by streams of water. He could not be moved. Who moved him? Who shook him? Who swayed him? Who caused him to open his mouth when it was not the will of the Lord to open his mouth? Who caused him to eat when it was not time yet to eat? He was always ready, and he did not wither in the face of trial, bearing yielding fruit in its season and not withering out of season. How is this so? His delight was in the Father. His delight was in the Father. Day and night, it made his way to his Father for food. Man does not live by bread alone, he said. To the tempter, to the scoffer, to the sinner, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's my live, that's my living, that is my delight. Day and night, the word of the Lord was his food. The fact is that you and I have run off on our own. We are by nature like chaff, rooted in our own vain appetites. That's where we try and find our nourishment and our rebellious desires. But Jesus, the one righteous man, has called us to himself. The only planted one has said, hey, chaff, find your root in me. The sacrificial death of that man on a tree has provided the way by which we can be forgiven of our chaff-like blown and tossed ways, and reconciled and planted in the ways of our God. Not only this, but we are also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, made actually new. So we're not just forgiven, but we take up a new delight. We are granted a new affection. I'm I'm filled with wonder by my new affections. I know me. I don't love that. I don't love the ways of the Lord. I know what I'm like, but he grants me new affections, new desires daily. This is the work of his mercy and compassion. We're no longer sinners and rebels. We are those who are granted the faith to delight in the Lord. You hear that? It's faith to delight in the Lord. This morning, I call you to that faith, to place your faith this morning in Jesus, your Redeemer, that you would not only be forgiven, that you would not only be forgiven, but you would be given a new delight. This is what you and I need today. I want to close by reading a a poem, a poem perhaps some of you have heard. It's written by John Piper. There's a video that accompanies it online. recommend it to you. But there's a few phrases in this poem 
that we'll close with that I hope catches your attention with, with the beauty of the simile and metaphor that is right there in the psalm. See him on his knees, hear his constant pleas. Heart of every aim, hallowed be your name. See him, the blessed man, see him. See him in your word, helpless, cool, unstirred, heaping on the pyre heed until the fire. See him with his books, tree beside the brooks, drinking at the root till the branch bear fruit. See him with his pen, written line, and then, better thought preferred, deep in the word. See him in the square, kept from subtle snare, unrelenting sleuth on the scent of truth. See him in the street, seeking to entreat, meek and treasuring. Do you know my king? See him in dispute, firm and resolute, driven by the fame of his father's name. See him in his trade, done. The plan is made. Men will have my skills, if the father wills. See him at his meal, praying now to feel thanks. And be it graced God in every taste. See him with his child. He has, has he ever smiled such a smile before, playing on the floor? See him with his wife, parable for life. In this sacred scene, she is heaven's queen. See him stray. He groans. One is true, he owns. What is left to me, fallibility. See him in lament. Should I now repent? Yes. And then proclaim all for his fame. See him worshiping. Watch the sinner sing. Spared the burning flood only by the blood. See him on the shore where the ocean, whence this ocean store from God above, thimbleful of love. See him now sleep. Watch the helpless reap, but take no credit, just as when awake. See him near death. Listen to his breath through the ebbing pain, final whisper, gain. Heavenly Father, we want gain. We long for more. We have a desire. We have a need to delight, and this is by design. Lord, satisfy us. Show us the sweetness of satisfaction planted by the root, having our roots planted by the sure watering nourishment of your word. Lord, I pray that there is a a, a new vision in a cynical world, a new vision for a beautiful, sweet, Christ-like way that we would long for it, that it would be beautiful. Man, woman, and child here would delight in the law of the Lord.
if that would take place, it would be because you have changed our delight. You have interrupted by your spirit. You have given rebirth, new birth. You've granted faith, and all of this is of grace. And so all of this is not to the tree's glory, not to the man's glory, not to our glory, but to your glory. May you be praised in a people who delight in your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We pray this in the happy man's name, in the blessed, righteous one, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.